I am Nathan James. I'm the lead singer of British classic rock band Inglorious. Classic rock and metal. The next generation. New bands that sound a bit like older bands. What the hell is this? New bands that just love some of the older bands. And stuff. Well, hell. It's just bands we think you'll dig. Okay? Hello, hello, and welcome to another mind-blowingly excellent episode of the Classic Rock and Metal Podcast, Next Generation Show. As you may well know, this is a companion to our regular monthly show, which features your favourite classic rock and metal bands of the 70s and 80s. The Next Generation Show picks out a new band every week that we think you will love, especially if you're a big fan of the old stuff. And what a cracker we have for you this week. Inglorious have been catapulted into the limelight thanks to a truly superb debut album and headline tour of the UK, which has left everyone attendance breathless and agog. Yes, that's right, agog. They seem to have emerged as a perfectly formed unit right out of the traps, but don't be fooled. This band has been carefully pieced together by main man Nathan James, who himself has sung with Uli John Roth and done a three-year stint with the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. He talks about how difficult it was to find a guitar player who was, quite simply, up to scratch. And no one I found was dedicated enough. No one had sat in their bedroom for years on end and become a master like those guys, you know? No one had become their guitar and that's what I needed. Word spread quickly and some of their recent shows were sold out well in advance. The other night at our album launch 500 people came and sung our songs back at us and our album was only out for two days so. He believes in old school recording like the big boys used to do it. We recorded it live. Every single song is a whole take from everyone so if you made a mistake in the second verse Everyone has to go again. And we recorded 22 songs in four days. So, before we hear what he's got to say, hear what they've got to play. Here's the stupendous opener from the debut album, Inglorious, Until I Die. The Classic Rock and Metal Podcast, Next Generation, and Archive Shows. The best ways to get your rock and metal fix anytime, anywhere. Join us now at ClassicRockPodcast.com.
We're from all over. I'm from Reading, which isn't too far from where we are right now in Southampton. One of the guitarists is from the northeast. Bass player and drummer are from Somerset, and the lead guitar player is from Sweden. Right. So I'm guessing you didn't all grow up together then. No, <laughs> that would have been physically impossible. But um, although we come from all over different places, we spend a hell of a lot of time together, and yeah, we're having a good time. How have you managed to come together then as as a band? I started this band two three years ago and I recorded a, what was at the time a solo album and after I finished the album I was like this needs to be a band all my favourite singers of all time have been in bands so I'd much rather be a Robert Plant than be a Meatloaf you know so I set about finding a band to play this album that I'd recorded with the likes of Gus G playing a solo and Mickey Moody from White Snake, and I had some incredible session musicians on it and after I finished auditioning I found the bare bones of the band and I thought, oh, they're going to... Let's see what we can do. Let's see what we can write and come up with ourselves. I worked with great writers on that last album. But I put it to the side. And then after a few more auditions, finding the right lineup, losing a couple of people, making sure it was perfect, then we had an A&R guy get involved, a guy called Derek Shulman, who signed Bon Jovi, and he signed Nickelback, and re-signed ACDC and Bad Company in the 80s. So he's the best. He's the best in the world. He saw a lot of potential in it, and gave us a lot of his time and that's kind of how we got to where we are right now well that does lead me on because i was saying just before we started inglorious has come to me the pr company have been doing their job Mm -hmm. but with the facebook page we have which is the next generation page where people post bands that they've seen that they like that that people might not know inglorious is one of the names that kind of keeps popping up on the posts and um you only came to me as i say a few weeks ago when the album came through and now here we are in the brooks a 600 cap venue as i said ufo play here yt play here it seems to me like a fairly quick into prominence, but I guess it hasn't been for, for you. And, and, and as Derek and all those people have been instrumental in, in, in helping you get that awareness. Yeah, getting the awareness and also keeping it back. There's no, there was no point us doing pubs for two years losing money. Do you know what I mean? Literally throwing it. costs money to go and do gigs. It costs money for petrol. It costs money for gear. It costs money for to put that on. So... We just really focused on getting the album great, getting the band great, and getting what it is, and that is, a, at the end of the day, to label people a, a product, right? Our label want us to sell lots of records, so they want it to be right, and that's what we spent the most time on. And now we finally get to go out on the road and cut our teeth, and we did that with the Winery Dogs the last three weeks all around Europe, and it was incredible. Honestly, the best experience of our lives. And yeah, the other night at our album launch, 500 people came and sung our songs back at us and our album was only out for two days. So yeah, it's it's going really well. So would you say that was all planned or would you be honest and, and, and go, that was a real nice surprise to have this pent up demand? It was a real nice surprise because obviously you never know. If the album's not good, people won't like it. People won't buy it. People won't tell their friends to buy it. And so far, it's been nothing but great. We were, we're number one on the rock Amazon list at, for the last, like, four days, I think, which is pretty impressive for a band that seemed to have come from absolutely nowhere. So, yeah, and also I've done other things. I sang for Uli John Roth, and I was in the Trans-Siberian Orchestra for three years, so those connections have maybe helped out and helped reach a lot more fans. So, yeah. I'm not going to put you in the same bracket, but the last time... We saw. I saw something similar to this coming from a bit left field. I guess was probably Royal Blood, mm-hmm. you know, where they just popped 
you know and and I, I guess there was a certain amount of management of that area as well but they hit the right place at the right time but um, it's um, it is interesting that, that it's been I, I say what you mean about losing money there's really no point so you may as well wait until but the, to be everything right I think it's important to get everything right because then if you fail you've done everything you mm. could have done and I wasn't willing to put this out with a lineup that I wasn't happy with entirely and with songs that I wasn't happy with and it took me on a real journey because I'd never written before right. this is the I've always been a voice I was a voice for Uli I was a voice for whoever else I've sung for they've just gone he's got a good voice he'll be able to sing the songs right sing them now I get to actually write my own songs with the guys and a couple of co-writers we had on this album as well but yeah it's a real weird experience I was very overwhelmed for the first time in my life at Islington because I'm used to just being told I have a nice voice and now people are telling me I can write a nice song as well so that's nice <laughs> yeah well absolutely well the other thing is that's quite key you say you're on the Amazon chart and then you know people are, are uh, coming to see you that means that people are sp- Spending money and yeah. not just listening to it. And that's a very significant change. Yeah, because I was under no illusion that we were going to ever sell a million copies in 2016 as a rock band, you know? It's not going to happen, unfortunately. But the fact that even people streaming it, it still makes me happy. We got our figures through the streaming and they were great. And people are watching our videos. Our debut music videos now got 110,000 views, which is really impressive because that's 110,000. <laughs> it's so yeah, weird. Yeah. I know. It, it just sounds odd. Yeah. I performed at Varken Festival last year with Transparent Orchestra to 80,000 people. And I couldn't not see people everywhere I looked. All you saw was people. That was more people than that that have watched our video. And that made me feel really... Do you know what I mean? If you physically think about it, there's going to be 250 people here tonight, maybe. Times that by how... It's such an odd... Yeah, Yeah. it's a very weird thing to understand to get your head round. (laughs) Well, maybe get used to it. (laughs) Um, You mentioned, quite proudly, a classic rock band. Um, People like to say hard rock, don't they? Well, they do. Because they think classic rock is is a slant somehow. We're so inspired by classic rock. That's... We wouldn't sound like we do if it wasn't for the bands that grace the cover of the magazine. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's the reason we're here, surely. So, uh, it's an obvious question because I've heard you, but uh, what is it specifically about Inglorious that somebody who likes the classic 70s and 80s stuff is going to pick up on? Uh, Groove. I have the tightest rhythm section in the whole world. I truly believe that. They've been playing with each other for 19 years. They were signed to Mick Fleetwood's label when they were 16 and 19. They're, they are the best, without a doubt. Also, the production on the album is very cool. We recorded it live, so it feels like you're there. It's not overdubbed, it's not auto-tuned, it's very raw. Kind of how they did it in the 70s. We recorded it analogue to for a big old analogue desk. and Yeah, we're really, really proud of that as well, because I don't think there's many bands around that could have done that. Every single song is a whole take. From everyone so if you made a mistake in the second verse everyone has to go again and we recorded 22 songs in four days well I think that's quite impressive yeah it is impre- <laughs> it is impressive but it is also um, a trend with certain types of music bands I mean when you see some of the bands that have been touring for ages mm-hmm. now you go and see Saxon they're incredibly tight mm-hmm. and they ought to be and uh, for us that's how it should be done absolutely and but there's a distinct lack of that and I think 
I learned that when I was auditioning guitar players. It took me so long to find a guitar player. Everyone I auditioned wasn't quite right. And I'm used to sharing the stage with Uli and Al Petrelli and I did a gig with Steve Vai two years ago. So I'm used to singing with the best guitar players on the planet. Um, and no one I found was dedicated enough. No one had sat in their bedroom for years on end and become a master like those guys, you know? No one had become their guitar and that's what I needed. And I had to go all the way to Sweden. I could not find one in the UK. I'll say that. Could not find a guitar player that could do everything that I needed in the UK. So well, that's a go. bold statement, isn't it? It, it? But it is, yeah. Kids nowadays are too busy playing a computer game or they're distracted with other things or they're so overstimulated in other areas that no one takes the time to really master a musical instrument. And I, that's a really sad thing, especially as Brits, because rock is from here, let's be honest. That's true. Do you know what I mean? Well, they've got some long, dark days in Sweden, though. Yeah, they have. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very happy with our Swedish guitarist. He's, not, he's the right amount of Ingve, you know? He's just the right amount. <laughs> what a brilliantly uh, <laughs> tactful <laughs> statement. The right amount of Ingve. Talking about um, choosing musicians, it does remind you of some of the bands of the past who make very distinct choices and aren't afraid to cut people when they're not doing it I think of Steve with Iron Maiden yeah um, it's important and you clearly feel it's it's that important to get right and not just play with it you have to tour with these people hopefully for the next 20 30 even 40 years I'm only 27 you know what I mean so you have to get it right you have to respect them as a musician you have to be on board with the writing process you have to totally trust these people and I finally have it don't get me wrong we bicker like brother and brother and brother and brother and brother but at the end of the day we all get on stage and it's perfect I've never felt like I do singing these songs with this band ever I want to talk about the songs mm -hmm. it usually takes me two or three spins of anything to find out where it's going to sit in my you know but I can honestly say having listened to the album only once there were certainly a couple of tracks which I was singing afterwards Unaware is one of the best songs I've heard for a long long time I am songs where I'd be singing it and thinking what's that song and it was only when I put the album on again I realised it was from it was from that you laugh about that but it's the first song I ever wrote wow ever um, we were told by our A&R guy to do a couple of co-writes just to get different flavours and just to experience more writing they didn't even necessarily have to make the album but wanted to get me writing and get my juices flowing so I went around to John Mitchell's house he's a producer who lives near me he's worked with Enter Shikari and New Me X6 and quite young bands and me and Colin and John wrote that song in an afternoon and I wrote the lyrics on my iPad and uh, after we tracked it, put the demo down he was like, oh have you got something, do you want to sing it? and I was like, oh okay then, fine, and I put my headphones on and I did a take of the song and I didn't change one lyric from that take everything on that song 
it's the first lyrics that ever came out of me ever I'd never written a song before then I was too scared to be honest because I'd always just been told I was a voice and people kind of respected me for having a really great voice but I didn't want to fail at anything I didn't want to be a shit writer to be honest I didn't want to write a song and it'd be shit I was so scared of it and then after Unaware happened I wrote 30 songs for this album and then we cut it down to the 11 that are on there Wow, that's an amazing story. And funny, I should pick that one out. Generally, listeners, not prompted. But where does it sit for you then? Because it, were you aware when you'd written it, as that's a really good song? Or you were just like, oh, I'm glad I've got something out? Yeah, it's the chorus, I think. So you can't beat a good chorus. And I tried to bring that through the whole album, apart from High Flying Gypsy, which hasn't really got a chorus. But yeah, I love things to sing along. It's the reason why Bon Jovi, one of the biggest bands in the world, is still playing stadiums. You can sing their choruses. <laughs> Everyone knows the words around the whole world, and that's important to me. No, well, it certainly works. You've been around. You've been around quite a lot. Uh, the band has been around perhaps a little bit less time. But what's your best story from the road so far with this band? Anyone you like? I don't know. They're all a bit rude. Oh, there's one story. I was on tour in America with the Trans Siberian Orchestra, and we do a Christmas show every. That's what they're famous for over there. Yeah. We're in the Hilton in Omaha, Nebraska. No, not Omaha, Nebraska. We're in the Hilton in Tulsa, Oklahoma. A really nice hotel. They've got a huge, great big Christmas display. And uh, I was like, oh, this is beautiful. Anyway, went out for a few drinks. Came in at five o'clock in the morning with my friends from the band and some of the crew. And I took a fancy to this six-foot reindeer that was in the middle of the display in the hotel lobby. So, me thinking I was very stealthy and Abel took the six foot reindeer up to my bedroom in the elevator did a photo shoot with it on my bed and snapped its horn snapped its horn off and then in my drunken state I must have called down to the desk to say there's a reindeer in my room I don't know how I don't know how it got there but there's this bloody big reindeer in my room and then a guy came up took it down and the next morning I got a phone call from the management saying they were kicking me and all other 100 people in our party out of the Hilton because I broke their prize reindeer. They've had it for 20 years and it cost like $1,000. And I was petrified, so I had to go down and apologise, still drunk out of my face. It's like 8 in the morning. And um, as they were telling me off, they were paying me the, the CCTV footage. <laughs> and there's me hiding behind a great big column in this Hilton with this reindeer. It's so heavy trying to get it and then going all the way into that elevator getting it in the elevator there's me in the lift going up in the lift with the reindeer and yeah I I got kicked out of that and we had to end up I said listen just kick me out don't kick the rest of them out and they put me in a really horrible hotel down the road and every morning for the next like few days I had to go and like sneak in for breakfast in the Hilton in shame I came in in a different disguise every day well I hope you learned your lesson I did learn my lesson and they were so worried they were like they're going to say Trans-Siberian Orchestra ruins Christmas for hotel it was like a huge great big thing and I thought I was being really cool and just stealing this rain I've got the picture somewhere it's not big and it's not it's not no it was big it was was huge (laughs) it's not clever though no alright the last question I always ask this one Um, if you had to pick one of those songs one song Mm -hmm. and say to somebody if you've never heard this before that's us that's what we're all about have a load of that which one would it be Holy Water no hesitation. No hesitation. It's um, it's groovy. It's soulful. It's got a massive chorus, a uh, great guitar solo, and it's peaks and troughs nicely. It's not a big in-your-face rock song. It's got a bit of class about it, and I like that. 
I'm not a 16 year old kid you know writing his first riffs so I, th- I think Steven Tyler said we're not into masturbating we're into fucking and I think that's the best way to put it I didn't want to write songs that I'd write when I was like an angry teenager do you know what I mean like it's better to write songs that you want to listen to not that you want to fucking party to songs that you want to listen to and that's what we're about and there you have it, Nathan James from Inglorious. And uh, I can't remember the last time I interviewed a new band and got such an insight into what they're all about uh, and really did feel a huge sense of purpose, persistence and huge potential. Some of the answers to those questions would have sounded bullish and even pretentious. Uh, they come from someone else, even one of the old guard, but you wouldn't blink if they'd been said by Robert Plant, John Bon Jovi, Freddie Mercury, Stephen Tyler, or any of the other artists who most of us would still crave to see, uh, given the chance. And although we're talking very different times, and obviously a long, long way to go to emulate any of those guys, I truly believe that Nathan and Inglorious have the chance of greatness. I said as soon as I'd seen them play live that they could be the next new British rock band to play arenas, and how I would love them to prove me right. So, as instructed here is nathan's pick off the debut album inglorious the very smooth and moody holy water
and that's it for this week. Join us next time when we'll be talking to another newer band that we think you'll enjoy. Now, just a brief message about our patron programme. As you know, these shows that we produce are always free to listen to and don't contain any ads to spoil your enjoyment of them, but they do cost money to make. Equipment, web space, software on the technical side and travel to interview bands and review shows all mounts up. Not to mention the time, which we of course are happy to give because we love the music. Patreon is a website that allows people to contribute small amounts of money for content uh, that they regularly enjoy. It's kind of like crowdfunding, but on a regular basis. And you sign up to say, each time this show comes out, I'll give this much money for it. And it can be as little as a dollar, which is about 70p, or as much as you like. You can also cap it so you never pay more than so much a month, and that could be also be a dollar. So if we do four shows a month, it would cost about 25 cents each. Like Kickstarter or other crowdfunding programs, there are rewards for people who contribute. And for example, at the moment, everybody who becomes a supporter of the Classic Rock and Metal podcast will get a signed item from one of the bands we've interviewed recently. So it could be Rock Goddess, could be Blue Oyster Cult, could be anyone. And we'll send that anywhere in the world free when you sign up. So if you enjoy these shows and you'd like them to continue, please visit our page at Patreon dot com slash rock podcast that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash rock podcast and have a look you can also follow the link from our homepage, which is at classicrockpodcast.com in the meantime please remember if you like something you've heard on one of the shows please 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 buy something from that band an album a t-shirt a ticket or just a track will help so until next time be good be good